Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 275 of Real Blend, the podcast that will always be the shake to Christopher Nolan's bake. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing editor here at Cinema Blend and a co-host of the Roblox podcast on this week's show. I'll give Kevin a few minutes to figure that one out. Uh, Blue Beetle is hitting theaters and we're going to have our review because one of us has seen it. We are going to have a 2023 fall movie preview, uh, looking at what's still to come and discussing what things uh, are going to hold and maybe potentially shift. And finally, the directors behind Talk to Me uh, are going to join us this week for a chat about their hit horror flick. And I will tease that as part of that conversation, they told me a little bit more about their plans for a sequel, which since has been announced. Uh, yeah. And if it's not called talk number two, they, they, me, they announced it. It is. That's what it's called. Yeah. Talk to me. Oh, that's incredible. Um, joining what, us. So hang on, hang on the trilogy. Talk to three. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we go. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Done. Done. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's pretty great. Uh, is Kevin McCarthy of Fox Five in Washington D.C. Kevin, have you figured that joke out yet or not? No, I have not. I, I've been I've been swirling the bacon shake in my mind. I, I don't get it. Okay, I, no. is, to that? be fair, it's I, a, maybe a headline that just came out that maybe you haven't seen. I was going to say, is this topical? Is this a new? Yeah, this is pretty very topical. Yeah. So oh. Nolan Nolan said in an interview. That one of his favorite comedies of all time is Talladega Nights. Okay, okay, oh, okay. That's right. And that that's when right. he's channel surfing, if he sees Talladega Nights, he literally can't. I assumed can't it was a Talladega Nights reference, yeah. but no, I didn't know it was a topical. Shake and bake. Talladega Nights reference. <laughs> I've only Shot seen Talladega Nights once. I've only seen it once. That's enough. Yeah, but I was just about to say, you're good, really. Yeah. That's, uh, now that we know like that a, Nolan loves it, though, I feel like Kevin's going to. Not like an anchor man or, or an old school or one of those that have like repeat value. I picture Kevin tonight re-racking and watching Talladega Nights and just a single tear rolling down his cheek and just going, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's Nolan's also a big Fast and Furious fan, so he's right there on my side, baby. So oh he just gosh. has a thing for bad car movies. <laughs> <laughs> he's just a big car guy. <laughs> he's like, dude, where's my car? It's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, The Kutch. <laughs> Sean Williams got The Kutch. Hey, hey, that movie probably had a lot of practical effects in it. It was made in the 90s. Very true. It, it, a lot of in-camera <laughs> effects. It did the driving for real with no CGI. So I got to listen to last week's episode as a as a, um, a humble listener. And it was very fun. Uh, first off, Gabe Kovach in the producer's chair. Tremendous job as host. Way to go, Gabe. He's brilliant. Thank you. He did outstanding. And it did remind me of that one time that Jake tried to do it. And uh, Kevin has never done it, I want to point out, which I think I think mm. once Kevin should at least try it. Everyone we, should get a chance in the chair. We could try it Don't if he wants it, to. Kevin. I think what happened is the, the Jake thing went down so poorly that I was like, I won't make a hydro from <laughs> do it. I think it was just I was like, I wouldn't put that on. I wouldn't I take it off. It of, going that badly, though. No, was no, it it really? went, no, no. The episode went fine. Jake responded to the backlash of people. Mm. I think sort of arbitrarily calling. Let out me tell game. you, Jake, you have to take these comments in stride because someone wrote yeah. underneath last week's episode 
the perfect trio, Jake, <laughs> Kevin, and Gabe. <laughs> Mommy? Yeah, <laughs> Kevin's mom. You, like, legit question. Do you guys read? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a knock one way or the other. Do you guys go read the... I, I just, I feel like I've, I've learned in the years doing this to try not to um, read the comments. I try to because I, I do like interacting with people who, who go down there to um, weigh in on things that we're doing on the show. So yeah, I like to. Especially because we try to do like call outs and get people sure. to... Our our comments are typically very positive or or just like they're not negative about us too much or too often. It's more about negative movie stuff or like things like that. Like, and that's why I'm always pushing for it. Like, push. They're like, Kevin is too handsome. That's about that's the like, he's just too handsome. Yeah. Every week. uh, The comments about my looks. I'm just too handsome. Tone it down, Kev. I I need people to stop telling me how good looking I am. It's very upsetting. It'll never happen. Yeah, I will tell you, Peter Berg just remembered what you wore to the last interview. <laughs> so that was a little it's true. Unnerving. It's true. He was like, hey, you wore a tie last time I spoke to you. And I was Twice. like, oh, what? <laughs> uh, so speaking of the comments, that's why you should go to YouTube to A, first off, watch the uh, video version of the show. And like, we Sean. always love seeing pictures of the. Yes. Oh, well, did I not introduce Kevin? You need. No, no. You need to introduce Jake. Oh, shit. Hey. Do I really? The man that needs yeah. no introduction, apparently. It doesn't get one. <laughs> Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey. How are you? That is one of my favorite Oscar jokes ever. I think Steve Martin was the host and he was on stage and he said, our next guest needs no introduction and then just walked off the stage and it was, really, <laughs> and it was Meryl Streep. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. Yeah. Oh, do you know what show I don't watch? Not to derail. I don't watch Only Murders in the Building and I know uh, Meryl Streep is going to be on it this week. Yeah, I season. watched the first season and really liked it. And I don't know why I didn't keep going. It was just one of those shows that, like when the second season came out, I sort of said, OK, I'll get around to it. And then just never did. OK, I'm going to give that. A shot. That sounds like Jake had a very Martin short stay with that show. Dang, dang. Let, 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 let it let it let it simmer. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Thank you. Please, please head down and give us a like and a subscribe on our YouTube channel. You're going to ask for a like after that. Week. Yes. <laughs> Uh, for our audio listeners, if you'd like to join us in video form, go to youtube.com backslash real blend podcast. Um, there is also a real blend premium. If you'd like to get an ad free version of the premium. podcast and a newsletter from usually me, sometimes Gabe, Gabe, good newsletter as well this week too on movie subscriptions. That was excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Had a fun read. Uh, check the description for information on where you guys can sign up. So I mentioned we're going to do a uh, fall movie preview. That's going to come a little bit later in the show because first we got a chance to interview Danny and Michael. Oh, boy. Don't make me do this. Filippo. Filippo. All right. That's easy enough. Danny and Michael Filippo, who are um, super high energy dudes who are just really fun to talk to. Uh, They're the directors of Talk to Me. And as mentioned, um, since we spoke about about that, actually, it was it was either the day we spoke or the day right after uh, that. The confirmation was um, that they're going to get a chance to direct the sequel. Uh, talk to me and so and they're, uh, they're fans of the show apparently and sean, well, sean in this interview in this interview did they talk to you they did yes. talk to me well yes, I, well, I wanted okay, to say I this to point out they were fans of the show <laughs> yeah. they came on my show right in chicago it didn't say shit about being fans of real blend <laughs> and this is why i'm in the comment section no when so when sean introduced himself you'll hear in the interview but to tell you too because you haven't heard it yet Sean's introduced the show and they go, oh, we know we recognize the voice like we, we listen to the show. It was very, very humble to be the host, baby. Pays to be the guy <laughs> in the chair. Well, these are the guys who commented under one of the episodes where it was Gabe, Sean and Jake or yeah. Gabe, Sean and, m- and myself and Jake <laughs> wasn't there. So they thought it was the perfect trio when it was 
Kevin, Sean, and Gabe. That, that's what. That's why they didn't say anything to you, Jake. I mean, come on. In the meantime, go ahead. Here's Danny and Michael Filippo talking about their new horror film, which you guys need to go see. And I know it's holding up really well at the box office. I've seen people are definitely checking it out. No, not you guys, the listeners. I'm saying go see, talk to me and listen to this interview with Danny and Michael. With spoilers, with spoilers. I don't know if you said that. With spoilers. Yes. Spoilers. Spoilers. Because the movie's been out for a while, but spoilers. Okay, guys, I'm Sean O'Connell. I'm with the Real Blend podcast. Good to be with you. Oh my gosh, I know the voice because I listen to the podcast. Do you really? That's insane. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's so cool. It's an honor. Yeah, yeah. How cool. <laughs> well, we're thrilled to have you on. And um, you might know this. We're a filmmaker podcast. We like to dive deep into the making of process and just sort of, you know, ask technical questions, but also some big picture questions. And I got to tell you guys, I, I went back and rewatched your Sundance video on your YouTube channel uh, in preparation for this. And I just cried through the whole thing. I was so proud for you too. Like, like I knew you, like I was more proud for you guys than I was for like friends and family members. Uh, I just, the ride was amazing. But so now months later we get to this opening weekend and you guys do $10 million in your opening weekend. And you're on the charts with these massive franchise pictures with, with your movie. What does that mean to you guys? How did that feel? what did you guys do over opening weekend? I, I it was the first time that I, I yeah, I, I well, opening weekend, I was editing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I How sexy. I, so sexy. Yeah. yeah. I, I, um, well, yeah, so we spent Sundance all crying, but I did have a good cry on opening weekend as well because it just seems, but also not, not even just the box office thing, just the fact that it's out is yeah. so exciting to me. And, uh, and it's just being embraced the way it is, like seeing people like fan art and, and the fan art is so incredible. Like reviews yeah. have been so awesome. It's like a, uh, yeah, like completely surreal experience that I don't think is like I haven't been hit with the reality of it yet. It doesn't feel like because we've been in this whirlwind of the, you know, since the since January, like promo of the film and stuff. Now that right. it's out, it feels it's strange. Yeah, it was so fun to shoot that video and try and capture it. It was so odd to have all of us, the, all the crew and cast there and experience that together. Yeah, because we had no idea what, like, like, the, what, it, what happened was going to happen. Yeah. We were just so happy to be It was Sundance. so incredible. It was amazing. And yeah, I'll be like, I like that we captured some of it on film. What is the piece of fan art? What What's showing up most in the fan art? A character or a moment? So it's all like, yeah, oh, it's interpretation like of the hand. Yeah, their interpretation, people's, artists' interpretation of the hand and the characters, like Mia with the hand, the hand with like, yeah, just like the, I don't know. It's like, just hands and Mia yeah, mostly. Yeah, different styles. There's some of Otis with Daniel. Yeah. Uh, yes, Riley. Like there's some really, really cool stuff. It's like, incredible. It's like really bad at drawing. Like seeing people that are really good at it do like yeah. a, on a, your film is amazing. That's so cool. All right, so we can get into specifics because this is a, a, a podcast we'll hide behind spoilers and I, I want to talk to you guys about your process. Um, we got a chance to interview uh, Damien Chazelle one time and he he mentioned something that was so eye-opening because it seems so obvious, which is that every movie when you sit down to watch it can be Citizen Kane. It could be the most perfect film ever, but you don't know until that opening scene. So there's so much weight on how you open a movie to sort of set the stage for what's coming. And you guys have one of the most incredible openings that I've seen in a really long time because immediately with the, you know, the death of Duckett, we're like, oh, shit, this is going to be an incredible ride. Was that always how you guys opened the film with the party and with that that story? Or did that sort of come around later on in the process? Yeah, it came around later in the script. I just knew that we really tried to capture the parties and the fun of the hand dwindle and get less and less with each uh, sequence. And, you know, each party gets more 
like smaller and sadder. So we knew we wanted oh, to have a big party and we needed to create something that pulled the audience into our world. So we're on the outside at the start and then we're, we're dragged into this world. I can see the effects of this thing and where it can lead. Uh, so it came later on in the process. And-, and it was like, it was the first shot of the film, but it was the last shot of the shoot. It was the very last scene that we filmed. We had to build okay. up to it. We had to build up to it. Yeah, we had to, everyone had to be working together for it. And we had 10 doors. And um, thank God we got it on the 10th take at like 4.30 in the morning. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> it was because we thought we had it on the 9th. And then we looked back on it. We're like, it's too slow. It's too slow. It's too slow. Please, Sam, one more. The producer, please, please, one more, one more, one more. And then we got one more. And then everyone nailed it. Because you're kind of molding it. Each take, you're kind of molding it. It's getting better each time. But it's one, you know, because there's so much happening. One thing doesn't work. One other one doesn't work. When it actually, you know, when we actually got it in the bag, you see that fake party turn into a real one. Like everyone just fucking rushed into the middle of the, the show. Yeah, yeah, I started celebrating with everyone. And um, and I know the neighbors are in their houses probably going, Shh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the person I felt the most sorry for was um Ari, who plays Cole, because he had to shoulder down 10 doors for real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Guys didn't make it easy on him. You're supposed to have like breakaway doors. No, no they, were, they were, they were, they were. Oh. Yeah, so we had it like, uh, so um, made, so he could hit it for real as hard as he can for the first couple. And then we had it rigged to kind of break away for him. But yeah. there was one where he started like boxing the door. He started punching the door. And we're like, Look, it's great. I don't know if it's wrong film. Like yeah, it's, yeah. Like, he's, not like, he's, not, he's not like ripping the door, like and punching it. Yeah, but he, he was getting sore because it still was very physical. But yeah, he nailed it. All right, so I wanted to ask you guys this: When Riley looks up and sees the ghost that's sitting across from him, does he recognize that person as Mia's mother? Does he is he familiar with Mia's mother, or is he just freaked out because it's a ghost? Uh, uh, <laughs> it's one of those questions like I, I feel like with all the interviews that I've over explained things so I really like some things to be left up to for people to to interpret and and uh yeah that's the funnest thing to me is being reading a bunch of these forums and people trying to decode the ending and stuff and there's so many hints and clues and there's answers and some people have guessed it and some are still trying to figure it out and that part's really exciting to me so i want to try and not explain that that part if that's okay all right all right no that's totally fine um is riley named riley as a tribute to riley reed no, Riley is named after my neighbor, Riley, who lives next door to us. And uh, James, his best friend, James, we cast in the movie as James. Yeah, yeah. there was a character written based on James and James played James. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not even <laughs> an actor and he's just such a like natural performer. We auditioned a bunch of actors, but he just played himself perfectly. And I was like, oh my God, you're so Riley good, James. Him, yeah. like, you're just saying that. I'm like, no, dude, you're really, like, you're funny and I buy that you're you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so talk about not wanting to explain too much. I know you guys have mentioned the fact that a sequel would be possible. Um, but one of the things that I'm wondering if you would want to see explored is the origin of the hand. Is that something that you would want to give more details about? I know you've said you have like a thick Bible that probably has a lot of the answers that fans are looking for. But that's is that something you'd like to maybe sit on because the mystery adds more allure to the premise? I think that we would expand on the mythology a little bit in the sequel, but uh, who knows? Actually, maybe it's, it's so weird because I've started writing scenes for a sequel when I was writing the first film. Naturally, once you start writing, you can't stop and you get excited about what happens after this. So what is this? So what does this get after every screaming? Yeah. Like every screaming. Uh, I don't know. Talk to me. Yeah. And so I don't know. I just felt like, 
I won't know until I do it, but I am so open to expanding the mythology and explaining some of it. But also, yeah, leaving the Allura mystery is also exciting. So I don't know what middle ground I'll end up finding, but yeah, we'll find it. So what is the writing process for you? Do you sort of hole away someplace and start to stitch ideas together? Or are you really collaborative? Like once you've written something, you bring it over and say, like, how can we sort of work this in? So I've got this amazing co-writer called Bill Hinsman. And uh, I know when I'm writing my initial pages, I need to get into the headspace of something. I can't just sit down and write. It takes me a couple of days where I have to watch a whole bunch of stuff and be up all night and not be awake during the day, go for walks at 4 a.m., try to scare myself. He's a freak. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, yeah, I like sort of wrote <laughs> the neighborhood in my headphones. And uh, I just get to like a, a weird fractured headspace. And then I like talk to myself and <laughs> I sound nuts, but I'll just have conversations and, and talk through scenes and, you know, sort of live in that headspace. And then it just sort of explodes out and, and suddenly it just really just, it sits in you for that. And then you just start writing and then it just explodes. I, I don't know. And then, yeah, I was going to say, like, it's like a build up of uh, ideas and moments, even like dialogue exchanges and things. And like, you, you let it build up in your head and then when you start writing, it can just yeah. explode. And out. then straight away, even when I only have like 10 pages, I never go back and check. I will just write set pieces. Oh, man, kisses dog. And then, you know, things like, you know, and then <laughs> I will send these pages to my co-writer and then, yeah, the collaboration starts there. But it's a weird thing where I just have to be in the headspace for it. So I've been trying so, to write, uh, you know, while this year, but it's been so, there's been so much going on that I haven't been able to really get into that space. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand that much. Um, obviously, you guys have been filming stuff your entire lives, um, but you only get one sort of first feature to really get a crack of how to do it. What's a lesson that you guys learned shooting Talk to Me that you know is going to help you with whatever you guys do next? Uh, the music, having the music part of the process uh, earlier. We care so much, or I do, especially about sound design and music, like even just uh, like just notes and things like that. And I can't even describe it. Like uh, it's a D minor E whatever to the composer. I just right. have this sound in my head and like, I'm trying to communicate that the music we had happened at the end. And it, uh, it was a very difficult process. We found the sound in the end, but it wasn't hard. I, it was very hard. Sorry. I want to have that process start earlier and be ingrained in the bones of the script. Like I want to be right now, like right now where I'm writing scenes and then sending it to a composer and he's writing music and we're trying to find sounds like conceptually early, which is so, so exciting to me. And I remember when I was speaking to Cornell, who did the, the score uh, about that. He's like, yeah, like he like that would excite me the most. I love that kind of conceptual stage. Like we, I never get to do it. So but even we were editing while we were on set as well. And our editor had started editing too. So even yeah. having the composer writing music while we're in that process, it's so yeah, yeah, like, bringing yeah. it earlier. Like we would do like some days because it was such a short shoot. We, we would be on set all day, then go home, edit all night, no sleep, go back to set and then shoot again. Like to, if we're going to have to bump out of locations. And yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. What's got to be really tough because you guys have done so much stuff on YouTube is when you put something up on YouTube, you get an instant reaction. Like you know how it's doing right off the bat. Is it tough when you have a film like this to sit on it and wait for people to see it? Because you were saying how excited you were to get into theaters finally. What's that challenge like? Well, I know that uh, it feels all those. There's this thing where with YouTube, you just edit it and you put it out. You, obviously, we put a lot of time in, but with the film stuff, it goes through a lot of finessing and perfecting and even subtle, subtle things of color and music and sound that it just... You, you screen it for some people. Like the first person that ever saw the film was our editor's son. 
because the editor had his edit studio under his house and his son, they were just living upstairs. Like, hey, can you come and watch this? And then you just gauge the reaction. And when people are sort of, you can sort of feel maybe when people are getting bored or disconnecting. And so that was a little bit valuable. And then, yeah, so yeah, it is It is difficult not knowing exactly. And you go in, like when we went to Sundance, we were horrified. And, you know. Yeah, like, it, was the, it was the first time where we were going to get like a Rotten Tomatoes score. There was going to be critics, like real critics watching yeah. it. Like our whole lives, yeah. YouTube, you know. Yeah. And like we always like watch films and we look at the Rotten Tomatoes, we look at reviews, we look at like that stuff. So the idea of that being judged on our film was terrifying. Yeah. And, then, and then they said, yeah, A24 is going to be there. Arias is going to be there. You know, all these distributors are going to be there. And we're just like, is there going to be any, like, fans? Like, yeah, is there any horror fan? Give me a drunk horror fan. This was a horror, watch a horror movie. But we're just cringing the whole time. And then I went up to apologize to Ari after the screen for him getting dragged there. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like uploading to YouTube and then, like, getting nothing, no response. And then you don't know, well, oh, it's happening. You don't know how it's being received. And then, oh, I don't know. The, the, the audience is pretty damn vocal. Yeah, but it might have been worse. Yeah, yeah. In our house, we're still cringing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys have to know, though, over the years that there's movies that you love that have terrible Rotten Tomato scores, though. It doesn't oh, no, always no, matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's still the, uh, it still stings me. It's still, yeah, yeah, it's, when I see a Rotten it stings me. <laughs> because it's your personal art and then you've, it's the first time that we've read something where it's like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. Terrible. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fraud. What have I done? I knew I couldn't have yeah. <laughs> um, I want to know about continuity. There's writing all over the hand um, and you I've definitely used multiple hands. Is it different writing across all the different well, hands? No, that, that's the crazy thing is that we only used one hand. We, oh, for real? Six hands were made up, but only one of them got used. Um, no kidding. Why? Well, no, and it didn't get damaged. It didn't, you know. Yeah. Oh, okay. The yeah. guy that delivered the hand, I was doing the finishing touches on the hand. Something spooked him out the night before. And then he, when he delivered it, he quit. <laughs> and when you're on set, you don't, there's so much happening on a film set. You're just like, oh, okay, that's weird. Uh, now this is happening, you know. And so the, that hand it had a weight about it. Like, so everyone's like. And there was like a, I don't know, a bit of a joke on set, but no one was touching it. Yeah, no was like, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. To go through them, especially with like we have ADHD, like we knock things over, like we're just crazy. So I thought that we would have destroyed it, but but there were six hands made, and exactly only one of them was writing, used. Exactly the same writing on all That's of them. incredible. Um, but then uh, yeah, only one got used. All right. So this morning, um, Christopher Landon, a very talented filmmaker, has announced that he's going to be directing Scream Seven uh, and joining that franchise. I'm curious if there's a famous horror franchise uh, that if you guys could step in to direct one, what would you tackle? I, I'm, I'd be too intimidated. I'd be too scared. I would not want to do it. I'd be like afraid I was going to screw it up, afraid of alienating that fan base that I was a part of. I would, I do not have the guts. Oh, would that's avoid, fascinating. I would avoid a horror franchise and everything. I probably, I don't know, I don't know if, this, if studio is going to hear this. And I, sorry, yeah, but I, I don't think I could do it. Yeah, but we are signed on to develop Street Fighter, which is a different. He said a horror, he said a horror franchise. Okay, but it's still a franchise. But there's no strong foundation film that you're like, oh my God, this is, there's an How dare film? you? Talk about Van Damme's fucking. Oh uh, no, but it's not, it's not this. <laughs> yeah, when I think of The Exorcist, or like, I'm so excited to see the films. I am, but I'd be too intimidated by the task. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm too All much right. of a coward. I'm a coward. All right, take, uh, a, fraud. take a breath. Fraud and a coward. You saw that wrong. <laughs> Sean, I'm a fraud. <laughs> I'll get you guys out of here on this one. Uh, please tell me that there are outtakes of Ronald McDonald with the hand. There is no so he's on vacation. <laughs> well, there is. <laughs> yeah. That's the sequel. It's a missed opportunity. Guys, I really appreciate getting the time to talk to you. Congratulations on the film. It's fantastic.
So that's it. And hey, so keep much. up the podcast. It's so fun to listen to. Yeah, we're just right, the live goal here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Obviously, we want to thank both Danny and Michael for coming on the show and for listening to the show. We love you guys. Uh, we cannot wait to see what you guys do with Talk to Me, Talk to Me, or two, um, because <laughs> this one's incredible. And I can only. Uh, well, let me ask you guys before we move off to this. I want to thank A24 for getting them on the show as well, too. Um, Jake, you've seen it. Kevin ha- hasn't had a chance to see it yet. I've seen it twice. Jake, do you want to see a sequel that is a continuation of the story that took place in Talk to Me, like using the characters uh, that were part of it? Or would you like to see it transition to like a whole nother area that maybe involves the hand and like maybe a prequel of the hand or? Yeah, I was thinking or? about this. I think I'd like to see it go um, with a new cast of characters, but mm. also maybe a little Godfather 2-esque Like, give me a little bit of something that happens in the future, but it also maybe flashback to the past. But here's the thing. I don't think I ever truly want to know what the story behind the hand is. Right. I sort of like like obviously they're going to flesh it out a little bit more, but sort of the um, kind of like the Joker's scars. Like, I don't ever truly really want to know where they came from. I kind of like this possibility of every generation that passes it down hears that it came from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just think they've got to be very careful about not ruining the mystique and the mystery behind this singular object. So I just hope that that they don't over explain it to the point of ruining the mystery. Yeah. Every every horror franchise, I feel, walks that line and. Mm They're all super interesting until you start to figure out the truth. Uh, sure. There's a new DC movie hitting theaters and uh, it's called Blue Beetle. And Jake is the only one of us who have seen it. Um, I don't think that they press screened it. They like didn't in, in the field because Jake, no, you you were, the no, only if you were interviewing. Yeah. So yeah. so to clarify from my perspective in the DC area, they are you screening it. Yeah, well, so the screening was last night. I couldn't make it. I'm okay. I'm pay, I'm paying to see it on Thursday at seven 
Um, but there there were options for screenings in my market. OK, so I heard the initial wave of things that I was hearing were was not positive. And then the embargo lifted and people seemed to really like it. So let's find out where Jake Hamilton falls on the scale of libido. This sounds like the flash all over again. It's it's very mixed bag for me, but leaning negative. I really did not love this movie. There are some very admirable things about it, particularly that uh, it really focuses on uh, a culture and a community that hasn't really been represented within the superhero genre, which is which is fantastic. And it really focuses on uh, the, the family aspect of the superhero in a way that really hasn't been done. And I think that that's Wait, like really Shazam cool. or no kind of, but in a way that doesn't quite work as well for me as uh, the, the kids in Shazam do. That, that's a, that's an interesting comparison to Shazam. I think that there are a lot of sort of constants and through lines. Um, the, but even when it comes to aspects of the family and the culture, I think my one of my biggest knocks of this movie is that it just feels like a sample platter, sampler platter of a lot of superhero movies that have done all the things it's ripping off better. Okay, I like sample I, platters. I, you know, they, they can be great <laughs> as as long as they're not taken from another restaurant and you have to sit there and they feel stale <laughs> because you had to wait for them to be brought over from somewhere else. Way to keep the analogy going there, yeah, Jake. That was uh, fantastic. But are the buffalo wings are, are are there wing are the bones in or bones out? I just need to know. That's the most <laughs> yeah, important part. Look, I'm, I don't want to cause divide, man. Like we we there we, are we no boneless wings, times. Kevin. We know yeah, this. There, there are chicken are, nuggets. There are chicken nuggets. I've heard that it's Iron Man esque. And Spider-Man. Has. Well, here's the thing: is it, I feel like when it comes to we're, we're back sort of at that issue with with origin stories, where it really starts to feel like there are only like two or three different ways to tell origin stories. Like it felt mm-hmm. very like paint by numbers origin stories, and the script just. I mean, the opening scene is Susan Sarandon who who plays a villain and just feels like. She's just kind of just like taking a paycheck, quite honestly. Some of the the line deliveries are just pretty painful. And it just feels like very 2003 superhero origin story. Like this would have come out sometime between Ben Affleck's Daredevil and Elektra. Um, it just feels kind of very like Oof. generic uh, origin story. And, and okay. for every moment that I thought, OK, I appreciate what you did there. I see that there were three, four five moments. It just felt like, oh, that feels like Iron Man. That feels like Black Panther. That feels like Spider-Man, but not as good as any of those. Okay. Um, even, you know, one of the film's most powerful moments, a movie that should have a moment that should have hit me in the heart like a sledgehammer. All I could think was, did you guys just straight up rip that from Black Panther? Like that really feels like you guys just said, remember when they did that in Black Panther? Wasn't that really cool? What if we did that, too? Hmm. Like it just really, you know, so they fight at a waterfall. I'm not, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. But I, I, all I'm going to say is that. um Look, if this is if this is part of a a next step for for DC, I you know, we talk about leaving these films being excited to to see them again and, and see what their contribution is. I genuinely couldn't care less as to what the future of, of this character and how he's going to play a bigger part in DC. I, I think the uh, you know, a, a lot of the cast seems to be having a good time. And, you know, I, and, and, you know, I, you, you want to see these movies to do well because that, that's good news for everybody. But. This it, this movie just didn't work for me. 
I mean, it's caught in this weirdo uh, limbo that the Flash right. itself is right. kind of caught in that we're going right. to talk about Aquaman. But it shouldn't matter. Like, they, like, like whether or not a movie is a part of a bigger plan should not affect your ability to be able to sit in a movie theater and enjoy it for two hours. And I got to be within within 60 sure. minutes. I was ready for the thing to be over. Jake, I have a question. Um, I saw again. I haven't seen it and I don't really know much about uh, the film outside of just the basic plot I saw stories that there's connections to Man of Steel. And I'm just interested in knowing if does that mean it's part of that world? Well, how, I don't know. So how obvious is this? I, 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 I talked to the director because um, the, he, they talk about the fact that he went to pre-law school and one of the sweaters. He wears a sweater in the movie that says that he went to Gotham pre-law. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I asked him was, if that's the case, who is his Batman? Like, he, okay. if he lived in Gotham, inevitably, he would have, for four years, inevitably, he would have seen, Sna- snake. Oh, seen Batman. Sneaky and got, snake, know. Jake. And uh, he either, he, he wouldn't answer the question. He wouldn't answer the question. <laughs> snake snake. <laughs> Sorry, Jake. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> he wouldn't answer the question? He wouldn't answer the question, which, 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 you know, I feel like answering who his Batman is answers what his connection to Man of Steel would be. Um, and he wouldn't answer the question, right. presumably because there's this big giant question mark over the whole thing. Um, they, there, there are references to, to other things in DC. You know, there's that line in the trailer where George Lopez calls Batman a fascist. So like it, it is sort of rooted in, mm. you know, uh, but I just, I just think it's a really, really weak movie. Kev, I and, think and he it, was. I think he was rattled by Jake's question. No, but before before I know before we move on, in general though, like with with this um, with this movie coming out, obviously it's taking over the IMAX screens. Um, so Oppenheimer's clearly been in IMAX, you know, since July 21st. So I'm I'm very curious how Blue Beetle's going to do. Um, to Jake's point, though, Jake, Jake, see, I, I trust Jake because I've known Jake since 2010. The Internet buzz around this movie reminds me of The Flash mm. because like when the it's Flash way better than The Flash, I oh, will really? say that. Well, yeah, that's what? great to hear that because Jake and I didn't Flash love The Flash. But see what's fun. But, but the, Flash the, came point out this make, year? Yeah. The, the point that I'm making, though, is that do you guys remember before The Flash came out in theaters, the Internet buzz on Flash was that it was the greatest superhero movie ever. Uh, James Gunn came out and this said is, all these incredible comments. This is the and opposite. So, well, I think with Blue Beetle, though, to Jake's point and to your point, all the buzz I've been seeing is insanely positive. And so I just I just start to question now like again, not that I don't question social media in general, but it's just funny to me. How like I, I thought Jake was going to come on here and give it a great review. I thought he lo- I thought he would, assumed he would have loved it based on what I've been reading. Um, it's, I yeah. feel like this, the, it's so, the sort of thing we've been talking about for the last several movies in this movie universe. But this every movie relies so heavy in these superhero franchises on the momentum of the franchise and DC and Marvel, for that matter, like just don't feel like they have any momentum. And it feels like every domino that comes out, like DC at least has the benefit of their restarting. And I think mm-hmm. once they get to that, once they get to James Gunn, Superman, people will be like, what do you have to offer for me? Mm-hmm. But these days, I think everyone just goes in with, well, if I wasn't excited about the last one, I'm not excited about this one. Unless someone tells me that it's a movie, it's a, it's a life changing event to go see. And they're just they aren't. So I, I think all of these, we'll get to Aquaman later, are going to suck, which Aquaman, I guess, is a little different because the first one did did so well. So there's there's billion that billion dollars. X, yeah, there's that X factor. But 
But I'm curious to your point about how well it's going to do taking over the IMAX screens. Even it just feels like to me, anytime I talk to anyone who's not connected to the movie industry, their interest is just like, I'll wait and see. Like I, I, they don't feel like they need to see it. And I think Mm -hmm. in today's, in today's, uh, or today's, uh, business, you have to feel like you need to go see it. I, I think if it does well or has legs and is able to maintain sort of minimal week to week drop offs to me, that is going to be clear, uh, solid proof that Mission Impossible should have opened up in August. Yeah, yeah. because Absolutely. if Blue Beetle comes in and is just able to not not saying it's the only thing it would have going for it, but to, but potentially coast on the fact that Barbenheimer is dying down and there's really not much else out there. To me, it basically says, look what Mission on the day when they've just announced that Mission Impossible is set to lose one hundred million dollars from the theatrical run. I mean, it basically just says it basically had until November, like it basically had until November until it needed to worry about competition. And I was wondering this today because when so I think Blue Beetle takes IMAX this weekend and then I think Gran Turismo, I think, takes over IMAX the following weekend. I could Uh, be wrong on that. Yeah. And so what I find interesting about that is if those films don't do well and the and because right now the want for Oppenheimer and IMAX is still a huge Mm -hmm. thing. I, I, I went this past Saturday and it was it was at 11 a.m. It was six and it was and it was completely crowded at 11 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Um, I just wonder, like, you know, what's going to happen with that? Like, do you think Universal re-releases Oppenheimer and IMAX later later in the, in the year to award season? But the problem with that is then you have Flower Moons coming to IMAX. You have Dune 2 coming to IMAX. I'm assuming Aquaman. There's really only Marvels. two weekends that don't have IMAX releases. There's two Which ones. One is like December 1st, and then I think there's one in like October. Wow. Um, Because I was looking at the IMAX schedule between now and the end of the year. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, Wonka's got IMAX. You guys excited for that? Yeah. Wonka's got IMAX. Like there's no there's no denying Wonka. There's no denying what Oppenheimer is bringing to IMAX. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of an interesting thing right now. And I'm just curious if IMAX is going to step back and go. Hey, I mean, that movie's bringing in all these people. These movies aren't like. Right. If there's like auditoriums of empty Blue Beetle screenings. That's what I'm saying. Or like, like, is Gran Turismo going to make a lot of money in IMAX? I mean, I I don't know that. You know, Gran Turismo needs for for real. Gran Turismo needs a 40X. I think it does have a 40X, but it it really needs one. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of that, looking ahead to the future, uh, we're going to do a fall 2023 uh, movie preview and run through the big titles and talk about our anticipation for them, Um, starting with. So I'm going to read off each title and then we're going to quick give you a reaction to what we think it's going to be starting in September 15th uh, with Kenneth Branagh's A Haunting in Venice. And this is his uh, Hercule Poirot adaptations of the of the Agatha Christie's. Yet what I find strange about this is not going after one of the more uh popular uh, after doing you know murder on the orient express and then doing death on the nile and there are several other christie books that you would think would deserve or warrant uh an adaptation versus going after the supernatural angle so that has me less interested in this uh for that reason yes gabriel yeah, uh, have you i asked because i didn't see the trailer for this until recently have you seen the trailer for this one yet um I, mm. yeah i did when it first dropped the trailer like is, it was a while ago well the trailer is cut like an like a legit horror movie like it's cut yeah. like a scary which i think to your point about why not go for another title i think maybe they were going for something that felt so different and i could understand given the first two 
were similar, I think, in tone. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm into Brana being like, let me play with this character and these stories in a completely different setting to to keep people interested. Uh, and I think probably Glass Onion was a was like a, a a good nudge in that direction for for a franchise like this. It has me more excited is what I'll say, because it looks so different. The second one I liked yeah. the first one I really loved. Um, and and so does this change in tone a, is an all star ensemble like the other two do? Yeah, Didn't this one it's the this, weakest of the ensembles. Okay. This one has um, this one has Michelle Yeoh, <laughs> uh, Jamie Dornan, obviously Kenneth Branagh, Tina Fey, Amy Laird. Um, trying hmm. to think of any other big names that I and do you know? Guys, do you guys know who Kelly Riley is? Kelly Riley, yeah, she was in yeah. she's Yellowstone. Her. She's in yeah. Yellowstone. Yeah, you've seen her face. Like she's she's been in a ton of things. Um, but yeah. you know, I, 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 it's funny because like, like I love all the actors who are in this, but Jake's right. Like the the if you look at the cast of of Murder on the Orient Express compared to this, I mean the na- the names definitely aren't as huge. Interesting for sure. But I do think um, that the the rebranding of it as a horror film is really smart because I've had people ask me about this movie as like this new horror movie coming out without even realizing that it's the third film in dude, a trilogy. I was it when I walked into AMC the other day, um, there was a huge billboard for it. And the first thing that hit my mind was, wait, there's a new like horror movie. Co- I, I thought yeah, I actually yeah. thought it was something. I thought it was like yeah, a Mike Flanagan thing. Yeah. I thought it was a Mike Flanagan thing. It looked like like the, the, the poster art, the, and then it took me a second to realize, wait, that's, that's Kenneth Branagh's, mm-hmm. Yeah, third film in the end. What? I'm, I'm curious how much they're going into that versus how much that's a really great idea for the marketing. You know what I sure. mean? Like, like mm-hmm. we're in the middle of this is the franchise that they've set up, and then look how stark and different the trailer is. Like, where in the middle does it lie, or is it going to feel cheap if I go in and it's like, well, it wasn't really scary, and it felt like it had a couple sort of frightful things, but it wasn't like a horror movie. I think mm. they're selling a horror movie, as to your point about what everyone's. Which might be a could be a problem, yeah. Because like if you go in, or and a huge getting... win, like look at how yeah. well horror movies are doing. Like could be a oh, no, no, incredible no. decision. Mm. No, I was saying like I was saying if they market it one way and then you walk yeah. in and it's not yeah. that that could be you know you might have a big opening weekend and then fall off. Um, so Gareth Edwards was at uh, San Diego Comic Con this past July and preaching that um, people need to get out to the theaters to support original storytelling. And then he's backing yeah. it up with September 29th. He has a movie coming out, a science fiction film called The Creator. and has John David Washington in it. It does look really incredible. And what I want to point out uh, with this one in particular, if people forget what Gareth Edwards has done up until this point, and he's a director who did Rogue One, which a lot of people argue is still one of the best of the new Spider- uh, Spider-Man, Star Wars movies. And uh, this is him returning to science fiction. If you haven't yet seen the trailer, go check it out. It really looks like terrific production design. Uh, really great sci-fi elements. Jakey, how are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I mean, it, he's he's sort of earned uh, to me my my loyalty to see whatever, you know, whatever he makes. Um, I'll go see it. And I agree. You know, uh, it looks fresh. It looks original. And John David Washington, you like I want to see him continue to, you know, make choices like this and and uh, and see what he can do. And so, yeah, I'm in. Terrific I, I, meme I, with uh, Alden Ironrich is is a shot of him from the end of Oppenheimer. And he says, uh, what if, in fact, that hot sauce was not the one you ordered? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> so that was that, great. That might be my, that, you know that uh, John David Washington improv. I, I, I always wanted to ask Nolan about this. I because feel like, did, didn't we talk? He, did we talk about that in our interview? The hot sauce line? Uh, I mean, 
I, I, I think when I, we I, got him later for Malcolm and we Marie, brought it we back up. Probably brought it yeah. back up. Yeah. All right. October 20th, uh, up and comer named Marty Scorsese is going to return to theaters um, with uh, two other up and comers, Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro um, for a movie that I almost bought the book in the airport because it sounded really interesting. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, and this is about. So apparently uh, the uh, Osage County Mm-hmm. Um, in, I think it's Oklahoma. Is that correct? Yep. Um, they discovered oil underneath this, uh, this yeah. land. So basically, um, at the time where native Americans were being displaced in America, mm-hmm. uh, the American government basically in trying to just sort of honestly get rid of them and just say, Hey, here you go. Fine. Here's, here's your payback. Here's a little scrap of land in the middle of nowhere, gave them this little patch of land only for the native Americans to then discover that they were sitting on top of one of the biggest, uh, sort of, uh, oil vats, mm-hmm. uh, in America, That's which incredible. made them per capita, the richest people in America. Right. Um, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Uh, and then all of a sudden, um, they started being killed. Yeah, people start uh, dying off. Right? Yeah, people start yeah start being killed, and uh, it's a pretty incredible story. What I, I read, I read the book. Um, oh, you did read yeah, it. Cool. Yeah, cool. Okay. And uh, it's a pretty wild. I, honestly, when when you tell me it's a three and a half hour film, I go, yeah, yeah, that made that that checks out. It's got a you know it's got a supporting cast of Jesse Plemons, who I truly think is one of our great underappreciated actors working so today, and, and Brendan Fraser. Is Plenwin's the FBI guy who yes. has to go undercover yes. into the Osage? No, he he just shows up as an FBI guy. Or does right, DiCaprio Jake? undercover? I thought no, somebody's no, undercover. Di- no, You're DiCaprio, thinking of the DiCaprio does not <laughs> the, the, play a great guy. Yeah, Di- DiCaprio and De Niro are not good people. Interesting. Yeah. All right. I kind of want to the- go into this not knowing. I, I want to go into it not knowing as much as I can. So. The oil reminds me of There Will Be Blood a bit just because of the way it's shot. Yeah, um, sure. And just in, again, just from a visual perspective, yeah. like when I saw and the trailer, I thought about that a little bit. It also it reminds me also of I mean, I, I was really excited. Obviously, I'm biased because I live in Chicago. I was really excited about the prospect of Martin Scorsese and DiCaprio doing Devil in the White City, which mm-hmm. if you've yes. ever read that book is is with Tom brilliant. Hanks. Weren't they going to do it with Hanks or no? Well, it would it would kind of made sense because you have to have everyone always talks about who's going to play the serial killer, but you have to have, right. you have to say who's going to play the architect as well, because you can't have the serial mm. killer without the architect. Um, and it would have been really cool to have Hanks play the architect and DiCaprio play the serial killer. Anyway, it was, and then, and then they, it was going to be turned into a Hulu series and Keanu Reeves was involved with that. And it Catch all kind of fell apart. Two can. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> and so, I, so, so oh, this man. feels like, you can feel the writer's strike from here. This is bad ideas all around. I've been off for a week. <laughs> true, I, true. I have to say, I'm, I, I, I know, Gabe was joking around earlier. I miss the jokes in the show sometimes. This has been one of those. This has I'm been one of those. Fire today. It, it, it's, of them, yeah. the this just yeah. sometimes I pick up a book and things fall out of it. Um, but you'll you'll appreciate this. This is the uh, the business card of uh, oh, my favorite. That's one. awesome. The great, the great Alex Ross, which is like look how look at the thickness. My Again, guy. I keep talking about how he, thick things are. It's a gay thick. It's a gay thick. Yeah, that's a, that's a great card. Sorry, Patrick Bateman. I'll admire his card later. That's good. all right. Uh, October 20th, Kills of the Flower Moon. It is also it's an Apple TV plus production, but it's yep. getting a theatrical release. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask that is so is Paramount or A24 the theatrical district? I feel, I feel like I there's two distributions. I think there's Apple for the streaming, but I think it's, there is a, a no, major Sony, studio. Sony has Napoleon. 
Um, I think, I think it's Paramount. Mikey, Paramount. I think Paramount. The real question is, who do we have to talk us. to to get him on the show? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, yeah. Let me let me take a look. Uh, Paramount is the domestic distributor. Paramount. And this is, is okay. a really interesting case because this isn't. I think this is an Apple film. I think it is an Apple film, and mm-hmm. I think I don't know how they. I'm very interested to know how Apple and Paramount came to a deal with the they idea that check. Paramount. Yeah, but it is, but it, but it's, but it's kind of interesting, right? Because ha- have we seen this happen before? I'm, I'm, no, but I'm this just is cur- going to have to be the future, like the, because yeah. the streamers don't have um, their own sets of theaters, and because the main theatrical chains don't want to play nice with them. Yeah. The streamers you- who want to get their movies into into theaters are going to have to partner with some type of established studio. Or have you heard that this is a tangent that we can't go on? And I actually don't know enough to, to explain this, but I'm curious if you guys As are Gabe familiar. brings it up. Well, no, I mean, I, but to your point, I'll have you also, because this is more of like a, a business and tech industry sort of thing. Um, rumors or ideas floating around that Bob Iger is trying to position Disney. In I heard a way about this. To get I read about that. By Apple. That's insane. Wait, say it again. I missed, I missed so, it. Yeah. So, so the, the idea is that Bob Iger is currently trying to position Disney making position Disney so that they could be bought by Apple. So that Apple would just instead of oh. trying to get into the sports business and trying to, and they've done well, I think in the TV, certainly the, the business with just trillions of dollars in cash would just go, we're just going to buy Disney and then we'll have the Hollywood industry Does, because okay, I mean, this the, is the I'm government sorry, would, would not allow that purchase as it is as now. It it's is. just too massive. Yeah. And so everyone said, well, obviously that's not the case because there's no way that Apple would be allowed to buy Disney and its TV entities and all that sort of stuff. And then next thing you know, all of a sudden you hear rumors that Bob Iger is considering selling off the TV affiliates and this yeah. aspect of Disney. And so the rumor is that he is slimming down Disney to put it into a position where the government could not block Apple from coming right. in to buy it. I think that it's more likely that they buy ESPN. Though. Uh, like I could see it turning into like Disney yeah. maybe just sells off the sports because because Apple's into, mm-hmm. you know, they have the MLS rights now. And I think they're mm. they understand the value of like live sports. I could see that more likely. I, but yeah. Anyway, why oh. on earth would disney want to sell i did this doesn't make any sense yeah to just for an influx of cash, they need cash that I mean, let's they, they, you know they, they, right now executives are making a lot of decisions that don't make any sense yeah, so i mean it's, it's with, wrong. with with flower moon though and again have we can you guys think of another example where a streamer has linked with a major studio uh, for well, a theatrical isn't that what release apple has done isn't that what apple did apple do that already with uh Finch? I don't know, Emancipation maybe, or I don't think Finch had a theatrical release. I, I mean, this is kind of fascinating to me because when Netflix puts their movies in theaters, they release in their own window through Netflix, right? And yeah, then they don't use a, a, a partner, right? I've never ever heard of this unless I'm crazy. But, but, Scorsese, but that's, Scorsese has had a relationship with Paramount for years now, so it may yeah. have been like something because I mean, like Wolf of Wall Street was Paramount, yeah. uh, uh, Hugo Silence. was Paramount, Silence is Paramount. So it might be a situation where Scorsese says, "Look, I got a good relationship with these people. Let's, you know, I, I kind of want to <laughs> work it, with them." You're right. He, I, I bet you, to Jake's point, I bet you Scorsese went to them with initially. This was probably like figured out before the movie was even made. Like we're gonna, I, I want theatrical and I want streaming. And yeah. Okay. May, so may, sharper, may, sharper. They did it with A24, which I don't know if that's. I think I think oh. that that's a little different because I think they might have bought 
sharper mm-hmm. versus I think to your But then again, bit. when it comes to who, you know, this is all inside baseball in terms of like, because I don't know about you guys, but some, a lot of times uh, whenever I see a trailer for a movie and it's one that I know I want to do interviews for, my first thought is who's the studio behind that? And mm-hmm. when it's multiple studios, my first thought is, okay, well then who are the people that I talk to? Yeah. When it comes I, to sharper, we talk, we dealt with Apple. I, so I think the difference is to, for to answer Moon, your question, though, Kev, Kev, to answer your question, mm. I think the reason why you're seeing something different with Apple is because Apple is a tech company entering the entertainment space. Netflix is an entertainment company trying to compete mm. with studios. Mm. So Apple and Apple has so much cash that they can afford to go, hey, we're going to buy up, you know, this technology or or these smaller sort of production companies, maybe. But they can go to a big player and say, hey, mm. we, can we treat this more as a distributor production company? Um relationship and i and i think for them early on that just seems to be the easiest way to to get their sort of foot in the door of of theatrical exhibition that's fascinating jake i'm actually genuinely curious now if again if the strike if the strike does come to an end and that junket comes around do we get it from apple or do we get it from paramount yeah i think it would be apple because i had a conversation with someone at apple about flower moon the other day and they spoke about Mm -hmm. it as if it were their movie Guys, let me mm. tell you, the listeners really don't care. <laughs> I, I actually find, I mean, I, listen, I think this is interesting to me, yeah, just in terms of like where we are in the industry. But All right. November 3rd, uh, Denis Villeneuve returns with uh, the, con- the continuation, not the mm-hmm. conclusion. We think uh, he's yeah, going to do, mean, we think he's going to do a trilogy, right? Messiah. Yeah, it's going to be a trilogy. Dune Messiah. Um, Dune Part 2. Again, missed opportunity not to call it Tune. Tune. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's that's right Han, that's Hans uh, Tor. That's what he's calling it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, the, the central the central question, though, I think everyone knows we're excited about this. As far as it our just movie got the preview. Hans Zimmer joke, it just took yeah. me a second. <laughs> um, I think the central question is: Do you guys think it stays? Oh, I, yes. absolutely, yes. It's I too do. late yeah, now, right? You know, want to know why? It has a. Uh, from what I understand, doesn't it have a six week? IMAX window or something like that. Like, isn't there some kind of extraordinary number of weeks? Does that, the Marvels that not have IMAX? Based, yeah, I don't think it does. I think based oh, wow. on the release date of, and definitely double check this, but I read a story the other day that because of when it's coming out, it could potentially have six weeks of IMAX. Here's the why I think, yeah. I was going to say, here's why I don't think it moves too. I, I don't think that that movie really needs the cast to promote it. Um, I think people are going to come because they either are super excited for the first one or the trailers are selling it or Denis could get out ahead of it and talk um, like when they moved challengers. They had to move challengers because they didn't have Zendaya and that made sense for that movie. But I think mm-hmm. like, let's say the strike is still happening and you don't have Zendaya to promote Dune 2. I think Dune 2 is going to be fine. I think Dune 2 is still going to do really well. Jake, you're looking at me skeptically. Do you not agree but with that? The, but but the first Dune press tour was very reliant on the viral social media aspect of those premieres. Like if you think about like the way Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet jumped onto carpets in their outfits, those pictures went viral. It was the most brilliant marketing. It was so brilliant. And I think that's the only thing that I would be worried about is Dune one made so much money while also being released on HBO max on the same day during a pandemic and still made enough money to continue to do two. But now but you don't have to educate the audience on, on what do. True. OK, I'm going to push back on that, um, because sometimes I think audiences have can have, have the potential to have a short uh, memory span. I remember when and I get it. This is this is sort of different. But when the Planet of the Apes movies were coming out and they were 
always getting better and they're always fantastic. I'll never forget mm-hmm. someone at Fox telling me for as good as these movies are, one of the biggest uphill battles we have is that we have to constantly remind people of how much they liked it last time. Yeah. Because when the new one comes out, everyone tends to sort of shrug and go, oh, another Planet of the Apes. And then you all go, "Okay, but you all lost your collectively lost your shit three years ago when the last one came out. I feel like there's got to be a degree of reminding Mm. people just how good Dune part one was. And the best way to do that is Zendaya and Timothy Chalamet on a late night talk show with all due respect to the the man at whose feet we bow down to. Denis is not going to move the needle on, on a late night talk show in terms of getting people to remember just how much they loved. Even even this generation of moviegoer that, that watches them as celebrities like those two in particular, like the, the red carpet, coverage yeah. of that is and gonna, especially because like this this is way more Huge. going to be zendaya's movie like one of the biggest sort of jokes slash complaints last time around is that she did so much right. press and wasn't in the movie that much she is all over this movie like now she can definitely take the forefront and uh you know i could even yeah. see because chalamet is going to have wonka come out a month later from the same studio i could see wonka i could see chalamet even taking a little bit of a step back and oh, letting dude. zendaya sort of take the lead when it comes and to promotion let- let Austin Butler step in off his Elvis uh, oh. uh, success. Dude, dude, a photo I, I of Austin anyone, Butler walking, walking needs to do the yeah. press tour. Imagine, imagine Austin Butler, Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya walking onto a carpet. Florence Pugh. That fo- Florence, Pugh. Florence Pugh. That photo, all four of them viral. That'd be incredible. Instant, no, instant, instant. Yeah. All right. November 10th. Uh, listen, I'm in the bag for everything. Marvel. I'm still excited for the Marvels. It's the most I've been excited in a while. Really? Why? Because yeah. of Nia DaCosta or? Uh, of Nia, of course. Um, I feel like Brie Larson didn't get a fair shake in anything she's done yet. She didn't have a lot to do in the, the team up movies. And I think the first Captain Marvel was was bad, not because of her necessarily. Um, but also uh, Miss Marvel, I really enjoyed. Um, and I enjoyed WandaVision. So like the, the, all of that coming together on top of what I've seen from the Trailers has me excited about getting something that feels a little fresh, feels feels fun. Boys, you both seem kind of moderately checked out on Marvel stuff. Are you? No, I'm not checked out. I was actually confirming that I just sent you guys a text uh, in the thread. Uh, so it looks like, in fact, Marvel's will not have an IMAX release, which is okay. very interesting. And I wow. think so from what we're from what I can see online is that unless like Dune somehow moves, obviously, but that is pretty fascinating i can't so, remember so it must be that dune has an exclusive deal with imax mm-hmm. uh, right. and marvel but didn't get one what's the last marvel film that didn't have an imax release i don't know couldn't tell you that's a we'll have to yeah, do research a, on that and come back and later. that's a that's a big deal those are it premium is. prices i think i yeah. think guardians did extremely well in imax so yeah um all right and then november 10th uh well that's november 10th and in addition november 10th is uh david fincher's the killer so which does does this have a theatrical sorry does this have any plans to go yes it does okay um i actually no hold on i'm thinking of maestro you effort that i'm going to talk about the fact that uh, i'm going to toronto this year and the toronto slate got its ass kicked by the venice slate venice has so many cool movies coming to it including the killer um and maestro which we're talking about in a second toronto has nothing and i wish they would just at least throw fincher over to toronto <laughs> please please the love of god that's why i'm traveling up there um oh. it's michael fassbender it's fincher doing serial killers again i mean what what more do you need to hear for god's sakes um from what, from what i can incredible. see i don't think the killer is getting a theatrical release unless, uh, yeah. 
Unless no. Netflix. Kidding. Well, did Mank? Did Mank? No, uh, make may see so what Netflix will probably do. And I don't know if they're doing this yet is give you like a one or two week window, but right. it won't be like a it won't be a In big like, like it's New it York and flower, LA kind of it won't be flower moon related. Like we could also I mean, to your point to what you're saying right now, Sean, uh, Venice is coming up. So I think they could also be saying, let's wait and see what the reaction is out of Venice. If the reaction right. out of Venice is everyone has to see this movie. I mean, why not? Why not Didn't, figure out where to put it? I thought that there was like some early buzz from some respected filmmakers. And of course, now I can't remember who it is that said that they saw it and it was like Fincher's best or something. Like oh, Fincher's best. Fincher going back to, to serial killers is, is, is I'm I'm all here for it. Yeah. All right. Here's I mean, a question. Yeah. What's what's the better Fincher movie? Uh, Zodiac or Social Network? Oh, Zodi- Zodiac is a better movie. Social Network. I'd rather watch. Oh, really? I think Zodiac I, I think, is the I think better. I would say it the other way around i love zodiac i love watching zodiac i love social network I, social network is Jesus. like yeah that's just a, a weird question i'm glad oh, i don't ever have to ask that why is that, that a question? weird question they're both no, it makes, makes, makes me uncomfortable trying to answer <laughs> it actually the better question is zodiac or seven see zodiac, zodiac, zodiac. is better so i would rather watch seven but yeah, Zodiac. Zodiac. Like you know, I think one of the most unsettling scenes I've ever seen in my life is a Zodiac killer approaching the a couple on the beach. Yeah. yeah. I think that no, I is like that. in the broad daylight. I think like she's that's crumbling. like the first 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. There's still plenty that, of movie to go. That might be his best movie. I think it is, Zodiac. too. But but every time I see Social Network, I, I'm reminded of how incredible the, the, the final scene when. Uh, well, yeah, you know. It's, I'm not going to say it because I don't want to ruin right. it for people. November 17th uh, is Thanksgiving. Eli Roth is making a feature length film based on the trailer. It's Grindhouse Exercise. What were the other ones? There was uh, uh, Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright did Don't. Yeah. Werewolves of the SS. Werewolves of the SS. Rob Zombie. Who directed that? Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie. Werewolves of the SS. Wasn't Nick Cage in that trailer? I think so. I, don't I mean, Jake and I, we talk about this sometimes. Like, like there was, there was nothing better than going to that. God, that was so feature. great. Because oh my God, like, and I was dating a girl at the time. I don't know how old really that movie came out. Like 19, 18, 19 when that movie came out. And oh my um, God, she hated it so much. And she could not understand why I was laughing <laughs> as hard as I did at the Thanksgiving trailer. Cause like I lost my shit at the, I just thought that was the funniest thing in the world. And she legitimately had one of those, like, I don't know if I can date someone uh, who finds that to be funny. We broke was, up, um, but that wasn't why, but yeah, I mean, well, I, yeah. I was so bummed when they split that up too, because not a lot, I mean, they eventually did release yeah. it on a double feature, but I, was, I think I had the Blu-ray yeah. of the, of it all together. I rewatched planet terror uh, for the Bruce Willis book. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rad. It's just so gory and incredible. It, Dude, it is such a brutal film, and then you jump, and then you jump to those three trailers. I can't believe he's making a, a Thanksgiving Remember film. When Rose been, McGowan had a, a, a assault rifle on her leg, <laughs> jumped into her stump. Josh, Bro- isn't Josh Brolin in that? Brolin's in it. Yeah, he's a, he's yeah. a doctor. Um, I'm more of a I'm more of a death proof guy. Oh, I love death proof. I think death proof is. Well, it's not one of Tarantino's best, but it's I love it. Well, I when Death it Proof works, it really works. Oh, yeah, it's great. But there's just a yes. lot of it that doesn't work. Um, who's this woman? Zoe, uh, Zoe um, Bell. 
Bell. Zoe, Zoe Bell. Bell. I mean, her work in that film is incredible. I, I think she's going to die. I actually think I'm watching it that she's going to fall off that car. She incredible. was Uma Thurman's stunt double in yeah. Kill Bill. She was. Um, yeah. Which one? Uh, <laughs> 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 it's a trap. <laughs> it's a All trap. Right. <laughs> November 22nd. Um, Sir Ridley Scott, friend of the show. Sir's reteaming with uh, the other friend of the show. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix yeah. for Napoleon, which looks like it's going to be God, can we tremendous. Get them paired? Can we get them paired? Oh my real, God. Bre- real blend reunion. I think if Napoleon. we got them paired, you guys wouldn't say a word. I think it would just be Ridley saying something <laughs> and Joaquin responding. So Ridley said um, in an interview that he, he, can't, he decided to cast Joaquin Phoenix in Napoleon after seeing him in Joker. Um, yeah. And then the person commented underneath and they were like, does he forget Gladiator? <laughs> <laughs> he forget what? Gladiator? Because Joaquin's oh. in Gladiator. I think That's that more funny. speaks to maybe what he does in Joker, I guess, is the, what yeah, he's yeah. implying. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I think this one looks classic, you know, war, heavy, historical drama. Are you not excited for this, Jake? I think I it I think I'm excited for it based like I'm excited for it on paper. Like on paper it is mm. Ridley Scott reteaming with Joaquin for a big epic. To but based on the trailer like there wasn't to me it seems a little bit more Robin Hood and a little less Gladiator. And hmm. a story came out recently that Ridley Scott said that Joaquin Phoenix came to him 2 weeks before they started filming and said I don't know what to do with this character. And I and so they had to sit down and kind of like map it all out. And I kind of feel like I see that in the I it just I don't feel like I'm seeing anything in his. Granted, we're talking about a two and a half right. minute preview of what is going to be a three hour film. But I feel like I'm not really seeing anything. in a story that sells a headline, not to undercut. Yeah, your point, I, I, I mean, it's one of those things that like, look, I will be first in line. I'm there to see it. But the trailer didn't move the needle for me at all. Hmm. Interesting. Did it for um, you guys? Yeah, like, did you guys watch that trailer and go, "Oh my god, that looks great"? I'm kind of with Jake. I think I'm more excited that it's a Ridley Scott movie sure. starring Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. The trailer didn't have anything. It's it's. You're right though. It's like right when it starts, I'm already like, "Oh, I'm going to see this regardless." Yeah. But nothing in that trailer. I mean, it's a good trailer. So, don't yeah. get me wrong. It just didn't. It just nothing in there was like, "Oh my, oh my god, god, this yeah, is going to yeah. be un." Yeah, I mean, but you know, I'm sure. You know, Ridley pumps movies out like, what does he do, two a year sometimes? I don't know how that guy is working that I fast. I think Ridley's 85, too. It's unbelievable. Insane, I man. believe he's 84 or 85 years old now at this point. Um, the 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 bit that ends the trailer, which is the cannonballs on the ice as the yeah. army's on the ice, they showed that longer sequence at CinemaCon, and it was... Incre- it was really it incredible. Doesn't look too, cool. too C- doesn't look too CG heavy no, when you saw it. Not at all. No, it looks like he yeah. killed several men and horses <laughs> <laughs> in the process of filming it. Um, all right. November 22nd as well is a trailer that we saw just today while we are recording on Tuesday, which is Maestro, uh, Bradley Cooper's follow up to A Star is Born, which stars him and Carey Mulligan uh, as Leonard Bernstein and his longtime lover. Uh, Felicia, I'm blanking on her last name. Um, Montalegre. I'm gonna. I probably mispronounce that. Um, I didn't see Bradley Cooper in this role yet. I didn't see any like shots from the production or anything, and was stunned at how different he looks. I mean, I'm not saying he's like unrecognizable. You can definitely see it's Bradley Cooper. Um, but he t- takes on a, a different persona in order to play Leonard Bernstein. Um, the trailer. When you say the trailer didn't do much for you for Napoleon, this trailer didn't do much for me. It, it's it looks intriguing. I mean, I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing what Bradley Cooper does next. 
Um, I love Carrie Mulligan. I think she's fantastic. I'm sure the movie's going to be better than the marketing for it. But right it, now, the marketing seems intentionally vague. Yeah, it looks I, I like the trailer for a movie by a guy who's lost 13 Academy Awards and is tired of losing and really wants to win an Academy Award. Oof. Interesting. OK, interesting. Ooh. December 15th is a film that I'm going to try my best not to have to see. Um, and it's called Wonka. I don't have I have zero interest in the Wonka movie. Um, and I I love Paul King's Paddington films. I think that they are. I, listen, I'm the one who came on this show and told you all the Paddington 2 is one of the best movies that is going to come out that year. It was remarkable. Um, the marketing for Wonka so far is not working for me. I don't need to see a prequel to figure out why Willy Wonka loves chocolate. Um, and I'll tell you, it's really strange. <clears throat> I was up in New York visiting family and was in a situation where I'm surrounded by a lot of people um, in, in my family who do not go to the movies whatsoever and got a, a number of questions about Barbie and Oppenheimer. And then two separate family members at two different times said to me, you know, a movie I can't wait to see this year, Wonka. And I was like, really? Wonka. So um, I don't know. We'll see. And maybe it'll uh, charm the socks off of everybody. But I so just don't feel like Timothy Chalamet understands how to play that. I, I think, look, I, I think Timothy Chalamet is a great actor. I just yeah. don't think he has the whimsy within him to, to play I don't know. There were just so many line readings in that trailer where I just sort of thought, like, look, I'm an actor. What the hell do I? I mean, I'm not an actor. So what do I know? But there were moments where I just thought, like, that's how you chose to say that. Like, that was the best take of that line delivery. Well, for is to this... sort of counter that, I don't think whimsy is the way to do Willy Wonka. Like, well, I no, think... that's the thing. Sorry, that's the thing. He's not Gene Wilder. Like, Gene Wilder could be whimsical and dark and mysterious. Yeah. yeah. And to, I think what Jake is pointing at, Timothy Chalamet is really good at being dark and mysterious. But not in this way, like not in the Gene Wilder, like kind of creepy. You don't know what Depp. the subtext like, is. I thought Depp did sure, okay. Yeah. I like honestly. I like Depp's Wonka. Yeah. I'm gonna be honest with you. I I, I liked it too. I just, it just feels miscast to me. And I like yeah. Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. I think he's I think Sizzling he's a great take. actor. But it just doesn't. To me, it feels like it's. I don't. Is this officially a prequel to Willy Wonka, or are they doing their own thing? Because it feels very much inspired by whatever is to come with Wonka later in his life. Like this is him younger to me. It feels like they're pulling this from that I thought it was film. supposed to lead into the, the Gene Wilder one, but I'm not. I, think yeah, he just, I just, sure. I just don't get this. I just don't get the feel of that Wonka from, from what the, I show. think it's a prequel to bones and all. Oh, nice. great. Excellent. The secret ingredient to his chocolate is <laughs> flesh. This is what he used to eat. <laughs> If Mark Rylance was playing the Oompa Loompa, then I'd be on board. Dude, I still have nightmares about Mark Rylance and those tidy whiteies. I, know you I, do. Still, I still have nightmares about that. All right. December 20th. Uh, <laughs> theoretically, the last uh, dash of the DCEU, James Wan's Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, a film that I would be moderately excited for, if not for the number of reports of multiple test screenings um negative reactions to it reshoots you know lots of refilming where does it even fit in in any kind of universe can it just be its own standalone interesting thing i'll stand by the fact that i really do love james wan i think he's a terrific filmmaker um i prefer him to go out and do things like malignant um you know and dude sort of malignant is so good it's incredible. Malignant I mean, he's, so a, he's awesome. an extremely talented director. 
We can't overlook the fact that the first Aquaman made a billion dollars. So clearly people responded to it because DC movies don't do that all the time. Um, what do you guys you want? Can thank what Mr. Worldwide for about? that. It exists. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Mr. When Worldwide. we first started this show, like the our text thread was basically pit bull pictures for like the first year or so. And because the guys, the that. guys, the guys were all about you, you guys liked Aquaman more than I did. I, and I just I, did, I yeah. couldn't get over that Pitbull so Toto Africa cover. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming out of the water. I just couldn't do it. Um, I really if bad. I'm J- if I'm James Wan, you got Pitbull has to be in this again. Oh, yeah. Without question. Like, I, I, I mean, at this point, you got to commit. You got to commit to the bed co- or, or co- capit. Oh <laughs> we gotta wrap this episode up. Gabe, do something. No, you man. missed it. Commit to the pit. Commit to the pit. <laughs> Commit to the pit. There it is. There it is right there. I'm All sorry. Right. Gonna, you gotta get me there. Get me there. Get me December there. 22nd, uh, Zack Snyder is heading over to science fiction <laughs> with Rebel Moon, ironically, <laughs> uh, two days after the DC feature comes into, into play. Um, from what I understand, Netflix is uh, poised to soon, I think, announce that part two is going to be coming. It'll be Rebel Moon part two. Um, and Netflix is figuring out a way, to, I think, to get theatrical distribution for this. I can't I don't know if I can confirm that just yet, but they're working. I th- I think they will. I mean, especially if. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Army of the again, Dead got it. I, and I feel. Yeah, there's I think th- especially the scale of this movie and the budget. And it sounds like just based on what I've heard from sources that might be named Sean um, that I've heard. I've heard it just sounds like it's going to be really cool. I'm, I'm very excited about this one. When, when can you when can you talk more about your connections? My embargo is going to lift um, at the end of August, in which case oh, I'll be wow. able to share. Um, I can tell you I went to the set. I got to go to the set for oh, this and you can um, say it. OK, yeah. And I'll be able to share in greater detail all the things that I saw while I was there. Um, I think it's August 25th. They told us we can, you know, after Empire and after EW and after Vanity Fair right. and after and everyone else sure, ran yes, all yes. the content that they got, uh, we will be able to report on our <laughs> legitimately <laughs> Eric Eisenberg today went to um, a theater in Los Angeles to see like three scenes from the film. And That's then Zach cool. spoke afterwards. So That's cool. anything that I saw is probably going to be out there. I just um, what has me excited about this is that Zack Snyder is excited about building a universe. Yeah, that's what like, sells me. Like I'm in because I love his take on on the super, superhero genre mm-hmm. in DC films. I love what he did with 300. I love what he I love what he did with the zombie genre. Like I like his take on these sort of larger ideas. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that this is, you know, more or less his take on the Star Wars idea. I couldn't be more excited to see that version. Sean, just release your stuff early. And then if they get mad at you, just email Netflix and say, I, I was just doing a marketing thing and being a rebel. Uh, there you go. Or I released the Snyder coverage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Sean, we have, we have two more left. Maybe we can get these Release in before, the Snyder coverage. before they pull our feeds from. <laughs> oh, my God. Right, that on was December, amazing. On December 25th, George Clooney has a film uh, called The Boys in the Boat, which is a remake of The Perfect Storm. Um, no, I'm kidding. It's not a remake of The Perfect Storm. It is set in the 1930s. The story is centered on the University of Washington's rowing team from their Depression era beginnings to the winning gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. Uh, Clooney, from what I understand, is going to be directing it, but will not be starring in it. But we haven't really seen anything from this is, I think, the the big mm-hmm. thing. This no. one is like we all know almost nothing about 
beyond everything you just said. Clooney's um, a great director. He that's why I included it on this list is I feel like when Clooney steps up as a director, it's like, OK, I want to see I want to go see. Yeah. That. Even movies that like didn't get acclaim uh, compared to something like Good Night and Good Luck. I mean, I loved uh, I loved Eyes of March. Mm-hmm. Eyes of March is awesome. Yeah. I love Dangerous Mind. Confessions. Yeah. Yep. He's a true. This is a Midnight Sky. Um, yeah. I liked it more than I thought I was going to, though. Yeah. Yeah. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, though. That's one of my favorite like Sam Rockwell is so damn good in that. Like it's mm-hmm. like Tender Bar wasn't bad either. I, I love Tender Bar. I, I like ten, ten, Tender Bar was pretty good. It's, it's funny. I forget that he even directed that. Yeah. It feels like Affleck yeah. directed it. Just yeah. Because well, remember uh, Clooney couldn't make the press rounds because he was shooting Ticket to Paradise. That's right. Ah, that's right. I remember. I remember at the junket, they said like he's filming something in Australia with Julia Roberts, which ended up being did they, Ticket did to they, Paradise. Did they green light two tickets to Paradise yet? There we go. Ticket Which, to mm, Paradise. Yeah. I mean, it made a lot of money. It did make a ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, two I don't know tickets why. to Paradise. <laughs> I had to say it so that I, I had to say it just to release the valve on Kevin. <laughs> 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 really does, that feels like a, a layup, a sequel to that movie. Like yeah. You just get those two yeah. back together yeah. doing anything, and then you really license the song, and then you. Two tickets to oh. paradise. Scott writes itself. <laughs> I mean, right. this is this is some AI stuff right now. This is what we're getting exactly. into. This, this Finally, is what AI is going to be. Bringing okay, wait. Okay, okay. <laughs> tickets to paradise. The plot is they go on vacation with uh, another couple friends of theirs that have broken up years ago, but their secret plan is to get them back together. The couple is Brad Pitt and who? Angelina Jolie. Sean. Sean. Jennifer what? Aniston. You wouldn't go Jennifer- see that. <laughs> Jennifer you'd Aniston. Pull, you'd watch that in a heartbeat. If they're okay, cool. If they if the plot was we're trying to get Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston back together, obviously they're playing characters. That's a billion dollar movie. If, if, it's, oh, George, if it's George Clooney and Julia Roberts and the plot is Brad Pitt and, and, and Jennifer Aniston are playing characters. They're trying to get back together. It's, it's a billion dollar movie. That's pretty Dude. great. Universal call me yep. after you I, pay your writers. Because because Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston. I, yeah, they're cool. They cool. remember they did that that like live reading and stuff, and they and they were on sort of the award circuit at the same time. They're gonna mess Dude. it up and put Anne Hathaway in it though. Like it's gonna you'll get some. Anne sort of- Hathaway messes up nothing. Sean O'Connell. Yeah, I love Anne Hathaway. I don't I don't agree with Sean's negativity, but no, I I agree. I think genuinely I know we're I know Take we're it to doing paradise. Like, we're Come doing on. a lot of joke. We're doing a lot of jokes today, but that that's actually a, that's a billion Jennifer, dollar idea. Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt. Could you imagine those? And they four? like they like trick each of them, saying like, "Hey, meet us in and and Bora Bora." Oh you God. guys are describing murder mystery too. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened in that movie? I didn't say no one ends up dead, Sean. <laughs> All right, last movie for the fall movie preview is uh, Michael Mann's Ferrari, yes. which stars uh, Adam Driver. Ironically, I just got that. That's it, everyone. That's together. That's it. I'm not saying anything else. End the show now. That's That's it. We're done. Sean, you want to know the most ironic part? (laughs) He's playing Enzo Ferrari, who didn't drive the car. (laughs) He built the car. That's a shame. What a a crime. Oh my God. That's terrific. This was a great episode. All right, let's start wrapping it up. Um, <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, a, as a call to action. I know Gabe doesn't like when I call it a call to action. Well, Sorry, just, no, I, I know. Head to the comments uh, of the YouTube video. <laughs> and if you're listening to this on your audio platforms, take some time out of your day. 
to go over to youtube.com backslash Roblin podcast and tell us what is your most anticipated movie for the remainder of 2023. It could be something on the list that we just read. It could be something that's flying under the radar or maybe heading to film festivals uh, this fall. Let us know which movie, uh, if you could only see one between now and the end of the year that you would like to go see. In the meantime, follow us on social media. Jake is at at Jake's takes. Kevin is at at Kevin McCarthy TV. I am at Sean underscore O'Connell. Gabe's at Gabe Kovach. And the show itself is at Real Blend. We'll be back next week with another fascinating interview um, and a few more fun discussions and bad puns. The puns are coming back, Kev. They're back, baby. And, and, and I got to tell you, next week's interview, you're going to want to stay till the end because Sean said something to a filmmaker <laughs> that you will never dream that you would ever hear some a journalist say to a filmmaker in your life. My, it is mildly so, unprofessional. Like yeah. I, it's really, really but funny. In context, <laughs> it makes context. Yeah. I yeah. want you to say it to Sir Ridley Scott when we get him on the show. <laughs> he would love it. Yeah, Just so you know it. I'm just going to tweet a clip of him saying what he says and then you saying what you say and nothing else involved. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a tease. Talk to you guys next week. That would be a very bad thing. Ha! Pay your artists. All right. Commit to the pay pit. Pay your artists, yes. Pay your artists, God damn it. Commit to the pit. Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt, a classic zip-up hoodie that used to be navy blue but has since faded to what the fashionistas call a distressed indigo. It's 13 years old, soft as a flannel bathrobe, and after a few hundred dirty jobs, demonstrably and undeniably indestructible. This is the kind of sweatshirt girlfriends like to permanently borrow, but I've held on to this one because I got it from American Giant. American Giant makes all their stuff right here in the USA so they can control every link in their own supply chain. That matters. Because when you buy American Giant, you not only get great quality, you create jobs for people in factory towns all over the country. No pressure, but if you give a damn about the business of making things in America, you got to support the companies who are doing it right. Go to American-Giant.com slash Mike to get 20% off your first order. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.